Coaches, how are you? I want to thank all my listeners on the Championship Vision Podcast. I have so many great people and coaches that are listening. I just, I just want to tell you I really appreciate it. Um, each podcast, I'm going to mention a few of my uh, Championship Vision Podcast family. Uh, today, I want to introduce uh, Keith Bork. He is the boys basketball coach at Adams Friendship High, Friendship High School in Adams, Wisconsin. He's the boys basketball coach. Great guy. He has direct messaged me so many times trying to get information on um, the system. And um, I'm really, my, that's a goal of this whole uh, podcast is to try to help other coaches and share. I'm learning as well. And uh, it's great that these coaches are reaching out. Um, and I like just like to thank Keith for just being part of our family. Coach Drew Dorsey, he is the uh, head boys basketball coach at Springwood Academy in Lynette, Alabama. Um, he's constantly uh, contacting me about he listens to all the podcasts. And I'm so happy that I can share with him. And I try to help his program out, uh, and I know that he's getting a lot out of these podcasts, and it makes me feel great that uh, he's part of our Championship Vision podcast. Coaches, if you would like to, uh, if you'd like to be mentioned in our podcast, please leave a voice message on the Anchor app. Download Anchor, go to the voice message link, and you can leave a voice message. Um, I will add that to the podcast on any comments, hopefully positive, but any any positive feedback you'd like to give about the podcast, anything, anybody that you think would be a great interview, please contact me. Or you can DM me on Twitter uh, at Kevin Furtado or email me at FurtadoK57 at gmail.com. I appreciate all the coaches who are a part of our Championship Vision podcast. Thank you. Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. I'm Coach Kevin Furtado. Welcome to episode 59. I can't believe that I'm on episode 59. Uh, this feels like just the other day I started on episode one uh, with my uh, good friend, Coach Pete Acock. Matter of fact, we talk all the time on the way home, and he was my number one podcast. I got to get Coach Pete back. But today we are in part three of our system series. <laughs> And I'm interviewing all the great system coaches. And today we have Coach Gary Smith. Uh, Gary Smith is a veteran coach, uh, ran the system for many years at Redlands College in Redlands, California. Uh, Gary Smith began coaching at the University of Redlands in Redlands, California in 1971-72 following a short stint at San Bernardino High School. Since then, he has compiled an overall record of 439-458, gaining his 400th win at the end of the 2002-2003 season. Smith, whose teams led Division III in scoring in 1988-89, 1991, 1991, 92, and 2004, 2005, has a 439 and 458 he guided the men's basketball team to the 1975-76 Conference Championship, which was the program's first title since Smith's senior season in 1964. His teams captured the crown again in 1981-82, 84-85, and 89-90. 
During the 84-85 season, the Redland squad finished third at the NCAA Western Regional. Smith later developed an up-tempo style of play, which led the team to three NCAA Division III national scoring championships in 1989, 91, and 92. The Bulldogs recently returned to a similar style and recaptured the scoring championship with a record-breaking season average of 132.4 points in 2004-2005. Another highlight of Smith's career includes hosting Division I Villanova University in the opening game of the 2003-2004 season. Despite suffering the 103-114 loss, the Bulldogs welcomed over 1,100 fans to Courier Gym for this exciting matchup. Smith also captured Lee Fulmer Memorial Tournament Championships in 2003 and 2004, earning back-to-back -back titles for the first time since 1959-1960. Gary has been a vital part of our department at University of Redlands for more than 35 years. His integrity, passion for young people, and unselfishness are exemplary not only to Redlands, but to all of college basketball. As a coach, he has served as a role model, positively influencing the lives of nearly 1,000 young men who have played Bulldog basketball during his coaching tenure. Beyond coaching, Smith has served as a professor and chair for the Department of Physical Education, teaching numerous activity and academic courses throughout his tenure. He has served as the advisor to all physical education minors, supervised internships, and taught in the university's first-year seminar program. He is the consummate educator on the court, in the classroom, and in everyday life. Outside of Redlands, Smith serves as an assistant coach for the West team at the United States Olympic Festival held in St. Louis, Missouri in July 1994 and worked for many years with the German Olympic Basketball Development Program. Due to Smith's outstanding worldwide reputation, Courier Gym has had the pleasure of hosting a number of international squads, including those from Germany, Australia, and Russia. In addition, Redland's team have enjoyed unique travel opportunities that resulted from Smith's connections throughout Europe. As for the numerous relationships with student-athletes over the years, they remain priceless, added Smith. The role of athletics continues to be valued here as part of the liberal arts education, and I am proud to have had the opportunity to carry forth a tradition of honor and integrity on the court. Smith graduated from the University of Redlands and enjoyed a stellar playing career with the Bulldogs. A three-year varsity guard, he earned first-team all-conference honors each season when voted team MVP during his junior and senior campaigns. Smith was twice named to the NEIA All-District First Team and received NEIA All-American Honorable Mention. He also won the National Free Throw Championship in 1963 by posting an amazing 90.1% from the line. Smith plans to remain involved in the game of basketball. He also looks forward to traveling and spending time with his family, having recently become a grandfather for the first time. Coaches, <clears throat> this is a treat to get Gary Smith. Uh, he is a absolute veteran. He's a mentor to so many coaches. Uh, he is considered one of the top coaches of all time uh, in men's basketball. He's going to talk about the system and how to integrate that into your own program, whether that's college or high school. Coaches, take out your notebooks. You're gonna, it's going to be a treat. Coach Gary Smith. I think we're connected, Kevin. I'm, I'm 
Hey, what do you know? my goodness gracious sakes alive. I can hear you. <laughs> Gary, great, man. Hey, I, I got to give you, um, I got to give you some, uh, some, some credit, man, for staying with it, man. I thought coach Barber was tough, man. You're tougher. <laughs> well, well, I'm not a, this is all new stuff. This is way beyond my pay grade. A lot of this IT stuff. But anyway, we, we made it <laughs> finally, finally. That's great, man. I, um, hey, I was going to stay until, hey, I was going to stay with you, man. I'm not going to give up on you. Thanks for your perseverance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, what a joy to have you on. Um, <clears throat> you know, my podcast is about uh, – This is you're on my 59th podcast. What a great yeah, honor, I saw isn't that. it? I, I, I listened to George and uh, Doug's uh, podcast and uh, saw all the numbers that you've been – how long you've been doing this? Less than a year, I tell you, I, but I've been, it's been in my mind for a long time because I, I, I enjoy, I'm constantly learning from other coaches. Um, and I love it. I just, I, just, I, I guess it's, um, I guess it's, I guess it's credit to me, I guess, but I'm always trying to pick up things from coaches and I, I, and I love having mentors. I have so many coaches that I know that are older or younger than me that I just try to pick their brain and that's, and I just got, I just, I just love the game, love sharing the game. And that's how we all end up doing what we do from different people, mentors and so forth. That's the name of the game. Yes, absolutely. And, and I tell you, I know you're still involved and I, I tell you what I, I will, you know, I, I, I know there's basically, I call you guys the kind of the grand slam of system coaches, and my ultimate goal is to get David Arsenal, but he's, he's, I've been trying to get, trying to get a hold of him and hopefully I can get him on, but you guys have created an unbelievable system. And actually I have coaches contacting me wanting to know more. I have guys say, all right, is Gary Smith coming on? I said, yeah, I'm trying to get Gary on. So I think everybody's excited. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there, including me that are really try intrigued about your system. And hopefully you can share yeah, with I'm us a little bit. To do it. I'm, I'm share everything. That's one of the things I like to do now is share this. I've done it with a lot of coaches in the last 10 years. And, and uh, so I, I look forward to sharing it with you and helping anybody out there that I can help really anybody can call me, contact me. So go ahead. Sure. Hey, first tell us about, I've had a lot of mentors in my coaching career and, Tell me about guys that have really had a big influence on you early on and, and of course, recently. And so which guys have had a big impact on your coaching style that you believe in? Well, way back early on as a player, my college coach was huge impact as a person and how to live your life and, and, and play and all of that. Um, once I started coaching and got into it, uh, the big, the biggest single impact mentor, there's a lot of, a lot of influences, lots of them, fortunately. And I've talked and learned from a lot of people, but the biggest single one was Bob Kloppenberg. Um, people that know the name Kloppenberg, he is the SOS defensive guy. Um, sure. Bob was sure. Coach at Cal Western. When I first started coaching, it became USI, uh, US International University. And uh, they were very good. And I remember going to a game against uh, when they were to scout an opponent that they were playing one night, scout them playing Claremont. And it was an aha moment for me because I saw them play and knew I loved the way they played. Uh, and Bob was a, a basically taught me 
disruption defense. And that's what that's what much of our career was about was was creating disruption defense. And most of the time at Redlands, we were a very aggressive pressure defense program that forced in in a, forced in in the outside forced outside but we switched literally everything and denied forced back doors and created got people out of every kind of motion and in those days it was a lot more uh less dribble drive less one-on-one stuff and you wanted to create make people go one-on-one any rate bob was a huge impact bob then went on to coach with jerry tarkanian and their best teams he was the defensive guy at with tarkanian at it UNLV when they won national championships. And then he went with George Carl with the Sonics when they set the record for the most turnovers created in a season and still stands in the NBA. I believe Gary Payton and Sickman, those guys were playing for them. And then he went on and, uh, and so he's had a great career. So that was the biggest single impact. Uh, Ron Adams was one of his aficionados. Also Ron is now, next to Steve Kerr on the Warriors bench. You, watch, you see him, he's in the guy in the brown suit, usually right next to Steve on one side of him. Uh, sure. Okay. Personal, of course, was huge, huge, and shared everything with me and was very gracious. And I spent uh, a, a much t- time with him as we put it in. And then actually I spent a, uh, a whole season with him after I retired and lived with him and his wife uh, and had a, had a great time with that. Uh, certainly Paul Westhead was a factor. Uh, Paul was at LMU when I was at Redlands and I got to know Paul and I made that drive, a two hour drive to LA numerous times to watch them practice and got to know him. And, and so I, and we did that. We ran the LMU system and it's a beautiful thing. The LMU system is a beautiful way to play. Uh, so, you know, and, and of course the other one that I would mention would be John Wooden. Uh, I got to meet John two or three times and talk with him, but but of course, he was—he he was the guy in Southern California, nationally, worldwide, probably. But I learned a lot from from watching, learning from him, reading his books, and so forth. Those are the biggest single impacts, uh, and the biggest one of those, I'd have to say, was Bob Kloppenberg. Frankly, they got me down this road, and then Coach A finished it off. <laughs> so that's 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 kind of a background on on my uh, on the, the the mentors that were most significant in my life, basketball wise. That's a that's a great list, Coach. I mean, I have I still have Kloppenberg's VHS tapes. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I love you know the checkpoints and the techniques and everything. I don't. I'm not sure if anybody teaches. I mean, he's detailed, um, but his system is absolutely. I mean, that that's a great system. How many teams you think are utilizing? Um, you know, force the checkpoints and all, all all the details of that system. Now, do you think a lot of teams are using so. that? I think there's a good number more than you might think. It's it's interesting when we first started doing that way back in the early the mid '70s and early '70s. Uh, everybody was forcing inside or playing straight up. If you forced outside, you were uh, you were a strange duck, you know. Uh, and it, right, it, it, yes, and and that detail is what's kind of driven my coaching career and the way I went about things. And that's how I differed from some of the other coaches with the system uh, in terms of the detail that we applied to defense. And it basically came from Kloppenberg. But yes, it's extremely detailed. It's extremely disruptive when done correctly. But like most things, you, you know, you got to you got to buy into the total package uh, to make it come out uh, any place close to what it's potentially uh, capable of. But uh, yeah, he, he's the SOS system is uh, 
is is still I, I know I've talked to numerous coaches that oh yes they're very familiar with it and interested in putting it in and and uh, and so it's still it's it's a major thing in the game. Bob and I talk regularly. We're still very close friends. Yeah, I would love to get Coach Kloppenberg on, and that'd be great because I, <clears throat> um, I mean, there's certain guys. He's one that I don't think the general public knows. But in, in the basketball in the basketball realm, I mean he's a he's considered a great defensive yeah, coach, he is. isn't he? I remember uh, Pat Riley with the Lakers talking about that someplace, saying that he had the greatest defensive mind he had ever seen. Uh, his son Gary coaches uh, the, is the defensive guy for the uh, Seattle Storm, the WNBA. He just won that this past year. That's his okay. son there, and his his granddaughter is coaching in. Uh, college game at San Jose State now so the family is uh, moving on <laughs> that's great and I I grew up in I grew up in San Jose that's my hometown uh, I'm a California now I live in Georgia but uh, I'm a California all my family lives out in California San Jose um, my family's from Watsonville and that and near course. Santa Cruz uh, yeah, absolutely so I already got tremendous respect for you because you're a Californian so <laughs> Um, I mean, and I, I have spoken to so many great California coaches. I mean, there are so many great coaches out there. Hey, tell me about, well, tell me about what you're doing now. Cause I think you're still involved in the game. I know you recently have been involved with a high school team and you just love to stay in the game. Yeah, don't I, you? Do. I, I do love to stay in the game and been fortunately able to up here in, in Sacramento area. We moved up here after, uh, I left Redlands. We have a fam, our family up here, my daughter, son-in-law, grandson, and granddaughter. So we moved up here. And I've, uh, yeah, there's uh, a local high school, Davis High School. I, I worked with them to put that in. They've modified it considerably since it was put in. Uh, but they've taken parts of it. Uh, I work with uh, a, a small school in Rockland, uh, Valley Christian College, that has bought in totally to the program, and, and they do it. Numerous other high schools in the area, extended area, I've talked with. Uh, Sacramento State women have, have done parts of it, and so I've been pretty close with them. Bunky Harkelrod is a the coach there, and he was at Berea as one of the first, Berea in Kentucky uh, College, one of the first, and then he went to Glenville State, where they had a lot of success. Then he was hired out here at Sac State. So obviously I've been very close with Monkey for like five or six years now, uh, all system related. Uh, numerous, numerous other places, people that I've talked with. The other one that I'm pretty close with that is not system related at all is uh, UC Davis men. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an advisor there like I am at Sac State. Uh, I, I watch practice once a week or so and comment to when Coach Les wants information. That, but uh, they're, they're a very good defensive, half-court defensive program. And, uh, and, of course, we did that for quite a while, given Kloppenberg's approach to, which was very, uh, very, very, very aggressive in style. But so I'm busy on all of those things. And then, the, uh, of course, the book took uh, about three years to write that book. Uh, when I first left Redlands, and that was quite an experience doing that. Um, and the returns and information, or the response to that's been quite gratifying. And uh, we have the website that uh, Bob, Bob Belf uh, kind of organizes. That is a run-and-gun website of people that are system aficionados. And that's been going for, oh gosh, 25 years now, uh, that uh, communicate back and forth uh, 
all over the country, all over the world. Uh, it's a private website that uh, that Bob will pretty much get anybody on that wants to. But it's it's a very that those are all things that, that have kept me out of trouble more or less, Kevin, out here in, uh, after I left coaching at Redlands. Yeah, you're kind of a role model because I'm fifty. Well, I'm going to be fifty-five. It's like I can't believe me myself ever giving up coaching. And you you have, but you really haven't. You you got to stay in the game, right? This kind of kind of yeah, keep you going. Seventy-seven is still keeping me going. It is. Yeah, I, I can't get down in stance quite like I have. I've got a knee replacement because I did too much, too many push steps and close outs. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, it's definitely kept me going and uh, and motivating uh, that along with uh, fly fishing, which I love to do too. So. <laughs> Yeah, that, <clears throat> I know Doug says you can still get in the stands. That's what he told me. Well, yeah, I I, I like to get in a quiver now, man. Uh, our defensive stance—that's kind of the <laughs> quiver on the term we use for it. Uh, body in motion tends to stay in motion, and you're quicker that way. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, it. Uh, I, occasionally, but it, I pay for it afterward now. <laughs> I know the, the body just ha- can't recover. I, I, I'm a K5 PE teacher at my age, and I, I got to run around with all these kids. I love it, but I'm sore after every – I just have my field yeah. day, so I'm still recovering, I Coach. Identify. I can identify, <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, I, you're big on the, the physical education because I know you taught that in colleges, and that, that, that could be another podcast on what I believe in, in PE classes. Hey – the coach that replaced you at Redlands, now tell me if this is correct, he went to a completely different style. I, I found that kind of interesting, <laughs> why he would completely change. Is that correct? He kind of went to a more of a um, slowdown type style or control, right. ball control? Uh, Jim, uh, Jim Ducey played for me at Redlands. He came to Redlands. His father was a very successful coach at Claremont uh, who died in a flash flood when Jim was young. Uh, and then uh, Jim okay. came to Redlands. Uh, and played for us, and we were playing the, the pressure Klottenberg defense in those days. Uh, and uh, he's taken some of some of the, some of those concepts and applied in what he does now. After he left us at Redlands, uh, he worked for Popovich, who was in our league for a long time. We went head to head with Popovich for like ten years or so, and he was at Pomona Pitzer, and, and Deucey went to work for him. And then he coached uh, high school for a while, and then he coached the Division Two program. Then he came to Redlands. Uh, and uh, he was coaching the women at Redlands and the tennis coach when I retired, and uh, he took over the men's program. And uh, yes, they've adopted uh, a different style of play. There, there's, there's really, you know, people that are willing to go totally into the system, as you know, Kevin, are rare, rare breed, uh, particularly in college at the college level. There's, a, there's a good number of us, but they're spread all over the place, and it's it's a very different approach, and you have to totally believe in it. Jim's been very successful. They've won a conference championship. They'll be very good again next year. Uh, but they're not run. They've not run the system. That's right. They actually they actually played uh, Greenville this past year uh, in uh, in a tournament in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's and it's so interesting how I, there's there are so many different ways. To win, right, Coach? I mean, um, but you got to – you mentioned a key word. You got to believe. Yeah. And this is – but what I want to pick your brain on is for us high school coaches who want to try to adopt it, and I got a lot of coaches that are going to be listening to this, what do you recommend – do you recommend going modified or all in? 
I mean, it, can you go modified and still, I mean, if you don't have 15 players? I mean, tell us about that. What would be the starting point for high school coaches looking to well, do it? Well, the starting point is to study it and understand what you're doing and then see if you can live with it. Uh, you, you really need to spend the time researching it and, and talking with coaches that are doing it and listening to things like this podcast uh, and, and decide whether it, that even begins to fit your personality. Not a lot of young coaches do it, uh, but there are some that have, have done it successfully. Um, uh, yes, yeah, certainly you can take parts of what we do and apply them, but those of us that run the system would not consider that being a system thing. Uh, would not consider that system basketball. I think Doug Porter kind of talked to that issue on a previous podcast with you. Um, you, I, my recommendation is to keep it as simple as possible uh, and, and uh, understand the basics, understand the, the goals, the, the goals that you're after, the system goals, which are different than traditional goals, and aim for those goals. And when you do choose to go in, you go in whole hog. If you try to go part way and, and approach it like, well, let's try this for a couple of months and see what happens, uh, it's not likely to happen for you. It, it's, it's something you need to buy into uh, and, uh, and keep, it, keep it as simple as you can. It takes time for you as a new coach to learn to, to develop an eye for it, uh, to, to understand really as quick as things are happening what is happening out there. And of course, the use of video, uh, very important as, as much as you can. Uh, but yes, I, if you're really going to run truly the, the system as we understand it in this group of people, uh, you, you need to go whole hog. And, and again, I would repeat, there's nothing wrong with stealing parts of this for other styles of play. You certainly can, but it wouldn't be, quote, the system as we see it. Yes, and I've I've always been, and I I I gotta be honest with you, I've I've really studied the system. I haven't had the guts yet to completely do it yet, but I've had I've run I've run an aggressive system. Where where my doubts come in is my player rotation. I, I you know I don't have fifteen players, and I I like subbing in one or two at a time. Those are the type of shifts that I like. Um, but this year is there's going to be a commitment because I have the players to do it, but I also have some good role players as well. Help me out a little bit about shifts. Do I have to go five in, five out, or can I go keeping my two top players in in every single unit? At least have my my top two, one of them in each unit. Tell me yeah, about well, that. Look, I think what applies here is what's your goal. Uh, if your goal is to, uh, you know, the, the goal in system basketball is to create tremendous number of shots, to play as hard as you right. physically can play all out. And we can talk more about that and how you develop that in practice, because that's the key to this whole system is how you practice. Um, but if you're if you're if you're truly into it, you, you've got to play so hard if you're really, really, truly doing it, that you can't go longer than. 40, 45 seconds, 60 seconds. Uh, yes, there are ways to concoct it where you can you can double shift a player here and there, although we did hardly any of that at Redlands, and Doug hasn't either. Grinnell has done a little bit more of that as time has gone on, 
where you double shift a single player for a short period of time. You do want balance on your shifts. You do want your your different platoons or groups to be as balanced, I think, as possible and not putting all your best players together. There's a lot of factors that, that go into development of shifts. Um, and, and do you have to go five in and five out? Well, I think if you started going two subs at a time, you would not be over a period of time getting your players to play hard enough uh, to give the energy sure. to develop this, this, this statistics, statistics that this, this system is about. The numbers. It's a numerical system. It really is. But it takes tremendous effort that the players don't understand at first. And that uh, the coaches, most many coaches don't really grasp. Uh, and I didn't grasp at first just how hard you really have to go to develop this. So so the, the, the general answer is, is no, you, you need to be substituting pretty much whole whole groups of people. There are exceptions. There are ways you can you can you can camouflage it and, and, and alter it slightly to, to get one player back-to-back shifts at various times. And that depends on the time of the year and, and the healthier team and all kinds of factors, I think, that go into it because we could talk about shift preparation for a whole pod, podcast, frankly. Uh, I know, yeah, that, that would be a great podcast right there because that's the key, yeah, right, Coach? Yeah, it's so much of it. I, 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 I remember. You know, I remember struggling with that so much, uh, preparing shifts. And I remember even the year that I spent, the season I spent with Arsenal, that that he would he would spend most of his time a new shifts for each game, generally new new shift preparation for each game. And he would be in his living room, and he would have the whole whole floor would be filled with papers all rolled up and thrown away. Didn't like this one. Didn't like that one. He'd just be covering the floor with with ways that he wanted to approach the game, given the time of the season, the opponent, the health of his team, all kinds of factors that played into how he wanted to arrange shifts for that particular game. That isn't the way everybody does it. A lot of people set their shifts and leave them by and large the same for weeks or months at a time. But but certainly uh, it can be done to that extreme. Yeah, and let's – I tell you, I've, I've had three or four coaches contact me and say, hey, you got to get Gary to talk about his defensive system. And that's where I want to start. I was going to ask you about your fast break and what do you run offensively? And I, uh, I'm trying to recall in your book uh, what you did do, because I know you and Doug do things differently. Tell me about your defensive system. Or, or let me ask you this way. Can I run the system without doing a trapping system and just pressuring maybe forcing ball pickups instead of forcing traps? Well, yeah, the, the defense is where we were a little bit different than other people. Uh, and uh, our, I, I think uh, it's my background through Kloppenberg, frankly. Like what I learned from Bob and applied co- general concepts of that is they applied when they applied to system basketball that, that made us a little bit different and initially got us at least over the hump with the first team to average 130 or over. Um, I, the, the basic answer to that is if you want to create the, the fastest tempo is I, I don't think you can do it without trapping at some point in time. Um, I, I, what became very effective for us was lane denials. I mean, that's what we did with, with the switching defense, Glumberg, and lane denials on inbound passes. That was very important. The denial inbound defense creates sure. more chaos than anything does. Uh, and there's a lot to teach how you teach people to close a lane 
the footwork, the stance, the vision, uh, the, the, the movement of the feet, the angle that they're closing on, how they pick up. Those are all very important concepts. And, and to tell somebody just go close that lane, uh, I think, is uh, doing them a disservice to, to what you could eventually get out of them. But in answer to your question, um, if you really want to create pace all through this, the, the, the flow of 32 minutes or 40 minutes, I think you've got to track. Uh, the thing that makes the system different than other styles of pressing pressing defenses is that you, we we trap in the full court on a missed basket, which is different, and we continue to trap in the half court. After you press full court on a make and a miss and a turnover, and then you come back in the half court, and the thing that separates system basketball from other styles of basketball is that you continue to gamble exceedingly high-risk gambles in the half court where you trap and anticipate and gamble with adjacent lanes. And it is strictly the development of that gambling attitude, that mentality that you need to develop and help your players to understand why you're doing this and how you go about doing it. So I, I think that, you know, I, I, that's the exact question I struggle with myself, Kevin. Why can't we just shut lanes and do this? Totally deny. I even considered the trying to shut lanes the opposite way, turning your head the off instead of inside out denials outside in, and so that your back is to the middle of the floor when the half court came. Uh, but it just it doesn't create the the chaos that you have to create to get the tempo to where you want it. Remember that a goal in the system is to get the ball back in ten to ten to twelve sure. seconds. And that's 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 really the more important, more difficult thing to achieve than shooting in 10 to 12 seconds is to get the ball back on average in 10 to 12 seconds. How are you going to create that? So uh, I think that if you really want to be true to the ultimate system, I think you need to do it that, you know, trap. And and one other phrase that uh, T.S. Eliot really affected me with, I read a lot, I read a lot, and one of the things he one of the things he said in one of his books was you'll never know how far you can go with something. He wasn't talking about basketball, obviously, uh, until you've gone too far. And that was kind of our mentality in, in 2004, 2005. I really wanted to see when we went to Europe and we came back and played just how far we could go with with what we were going to do. And uh, and it, it, I think trapping and gambling those adjacent lanes is is absolutely imperative if you want to maximize pace. Yeah, and give me some. I guess I, I what I love about it is the pressing on misses because nobody can prepare for that. Yeah, I mean you you get teams in total chaos. Give me some key terms that you use. For example, I mean, closest man, closest to recognizing where the ball is. And I know at the college level is probably easier, but at the high school level, I mean, the ability to teach that, what are some of your key verbiage that you use to teach? Oh, boom, we got to immediately get right in that, that, that trapping mode on a miss. Well, closest man concept is first, yes. It's, that applies all over the floor. Closest man concept. Closest man to the ball closes out. That's applicable to any team that switches man-to-man, I think, too. Uh, that 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 instantaneous reaction, quick reaction. Another thing that come that works to to getting into the floor position that you need to be in to trap initially and to get in the correct position on a missed basket press is how you go to the offensive boards. So when you shoot the ball, 
that's one an offensive rebounding is the other absolute imperative in this style of play is that when we go to the offensive boards, we on three point shots, we really wanted our guys on the outside in block out. We wanted to wedge them under uh, contact wedge, as we called it. And Doug Porter talked about that on the con in his podcast with you, where you contact the lower body inside arm up and, and, push them and 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 you got to trust that your teammate's going to shoot it you're going to the board so you're trying to wedge your teammate under your opponent under as far as you can so that you get those long rebounds but when you don't and they're able to secure it you are now in a proper position to pressure the ball and initially get strong pressure on the ball with the one or two closest people to trap and uh, and then and then get into those adjacent passing lanes to get the press going so it starts there it starts with your offensive rebounding um, such an important part of system basketball is the the, the, the three most imp- the games within a game that, that we talk about constantly with our team and that's so much of it is 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 using teachable moments and helping them understand why we do what we do. When you get to that point, you're in business, but it takes time to do that. But, but the three, the three games within a game are the trend, the transition from offense to defense, which is what we're talking about right here. The transition from uh, defense to offense, those first two step, two step quickness initially and going, and then the, on the shot offensive rebounding when the ball's in the air. Those three things uh, separate you from other people. And as you, as you do it more, you get better and better and better and better at that quick reaction, that immediate reaction from offense to defense, defense to offense, going to the offensive board, trusting that your teammate's going to shoot the ball. And you're there, you're on your way, and you get better contact wedges because you trust that your teammate's going to shoot it and you're, you've got them wedged under, which is going to enhance your offensive rebounding and enhance your your uh your miss basket press so i think those things all go together and uh and then you know there's various drills you can use uh five on five block out type things that's discussed in the book and so on but those are those are some of the key concepts closest man concept contact wedge blockouts and and it is a big time gamble I mean, there's no doubt about it if you're going to play this way and you're not a riverboat gambler you're probably <laughs> you're probably not not going to be happy with this because the, the you're trying to force pace and that's forcing pace is the things that force pace as i mentioned previously are more beyond the normal beyond the normal are obviously people force pace with a, with a made basket press all the time yes we do that too but it's the missed basket press that additionally forces pace makes the opponent shoot it early gives you more chances for interceptions and the pressure, the total total sellout pressure in the half court defense when they have been successful in advancing the ball against you, we're selling out against you again, and we're gambling. And those are the things that creates pace. Those are the things that enable you to get uh, ten or twelve second uh, situations where you get the ball back. And so that would be my response to that. Yeah, and that. I mean, what I love about it is, first of all, you're never out of a game. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I don't think coaches, there's so many coaches that I go against that don't even have a press. You get up by 10 or 12, they're completely lost. Their team doesn't know what to do. So, I mean, we've all, I've always been a pressing team for that simple reason that it, we're never out of a game. Uh, but, but this year, um, you know, we're, we're stepping it up to the next level. 
Um, and you guys, all three of you guys so far, just give me some great ideas. Can you tell me um, what kind of shots are you looking for? Are you looking for are you looking for specific shooters or like what we do is we run a five out and we I'm trying to develop all five of my players have the ability to shoot or drive or finish at the rim. Um, tell me what, how, how do you create your offense? Yeah, that's an interesting concept because that's something we've talked about and with system, we've run system clinics at Grinnell for years and other places. And, and uh, that's a topic that comes up. Um, we, 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 we've liked preferred shooters. Uh, although we were less preferred shooter oriented than, than Grinnell is by quite a long ways. But uh, in the first, the first push up the floor, uh, I think your team begins to understand when you, when you chart shots a lot in practice and, and you chart all the different shooting drills that you do, your team understands who your best shooters are if you post those, post those. And they understand whether you post them or not who your best shooters are. And so, and sometimes you don't really need to talk a lot about who your preferred shooters are, but, but, but no, it's not a, just anybody shoots it in the first seven seconds. When we get to 10 or 12 seconds, that's a different issue. Now we got to get the ball up and, and maybe our third or fourth and fifth best shooter would, would put it up. The LMU system it was different and, and it was first guy takes the shot, but, but there's a big but there too. And the, the first place that point guard is looking is for the two man in the corner to sh- pull, man, pull right. that trigger. And then he's got, then he's got a layup from his three men on the other side of the floor. And he's got his other good shooter coming down behind him at the five. So, you know, they, they, even though they, they say first open man shoots it, they, that's where they put their best shooters. And that's how that's, there's various ways of, of orienting your, your offense. But I think you want your best shooter, ideally, if you can't go coast to coast with a point guard or get a layup, is, going, is, is orienting toward your best shooter, your single best shooter, or maybe your best two pulling the trigger. Now, now Grinnell is, is terrific at, at getting the, – the thing about Grinnell is <laughs> I don't is, – is they – their shooting percentages and their emphasis on their preferred shooters – and even on their preferred handlers. That's the other thing you can go to is your preferred handlers, even after the point guard pushes the ball up the floor, are extreme. You look, you look at, we, we tended to turn the ball over offensively more than Grinnell does. Grinnell's turnovers per game are in the 12 region. We were like 17. Uh, that's a big difference, five per game uh, or 18. So, you know, there's, there's different ways about going about that. But simply to answer your question on shooters, uh, I think you do want your – you want to develop everybody as a shooter, yes. But I think on, on the odds in the total ball game, you want your best shooters taking the majority of your shots. <laughs> I totally agree. I, I got – yeah, I have, I have a couple new ninth graders coming up that are pretty good little players. Both can absolutely shoot it. I have my best player. She's a rising junior, um, great player. I put her on that two wing coach, and we send her, and we 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 just try to immediately get a quick kick out because girls teams don't get back on defense. We get a lot of looks there, and then my three. I used to do the LMU. I used to send her to the to the to the basket, 
but now I send my three wide to the wing. I send my five to the alley opposite. Right. Right. Yeah, I kind of don't. So tell me about your fast break and how you run your lanes. I mean, should I send my three, or is it a matter of just preference? Well, it's a lot of it's it, it's a matter of how you do what you do. Like most things in basketball, it's not as much a matter of what you do. Sometimes as how you do it. Can you do it right. exactly right? Detail, detail, detail. Um, we we uh, with LMU because uh, we did run LMU successfully for like five six years. And uh, we ran at uh, the three man on that at that on that uh, to the basket, you know, and through the, and worked hard at pass faking to the two and throwing that long lead out to three and shooting those layups. And you get one or two of those, and all of a sudden the defense is over recovering, and you've got now your five and two become more open and all of that. Uh, when we went to the system, we did on a made basket on made baskets we ran the two men most of it was his choice but i would say 80 percent of the time 85 percent of the time he would run around a, a double cut a double staggered screen uh that our our five and three both went wide down the left side of the floor <laughs> we wanted to keep the middle of the floor as open as possible for our one for our point guard for him just to go go like heck right down the middle of the floor, aiming more or less at the right elbow, but uh, that in that general area. And we'd run the two off of a double stagger from the five and the three uh, back out to a fade or curl spots. Uh, fade in the corner, curl up, there, up higher the elbow at three-point line shots and deliver the passes there or there. You know, and then we had the, the we we had our five men come down as a trail and generally go to the right side of the floor and balance the floor, and four would be generally opposite. So th that was our basic structure on a made basket, and and we on a miss basket, we didn't do that on a miss basket. A miss basket break was different, and I think you'll find that Grinnell runs theirs differently from year to year too. Normally. What we did on a miss basket was you run the nearest, whichever side of the floor you're on, you run that side. We're going to outlet it to our point guard in most cases. And, and you're going to run this, whichever side of the floor you're on and now read the situation. Uh, and we're going to screen for the preferred shooter. Uh, so if the preferred shooter is, if there's two people on say the right side going down and the preferred shooter is the first guy down, you're going to set a down screen for him. If he's the second guy down, you're going to get a, a, a the backside screen for him, a flare screen for him. If there's three people on one side, so be it. We're going to screen for the best shooter on that side of the floor and one on the other side. So that was what we did on a, on a miss basket and on a turnover. So we did do two different things uh, relative to that type of transition. Um, and uh, and we, we were one, you know, to... Right. I, I, I tended to run the try, try to develop all of the options off of each of those situations rather than do anything else. I wasn't one to do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, you've, you've got the, the approach to basketball is, are you, are you a mile wide and an inch deep or are you a, a mile deep and an inch wide. We, we tended toward nobody one extreme or the other toward a mile deep and an inch an inch wide, and do whatever you're going to do as well as you can do it. Uh, and that's that was our that was our focus offensively. And our point guards, 
we had various types of point guards. We had some that were jets and could go by people. And we had some that were, we had one of our best point guards ever is now a college coach and here in California. And he, he was uh six, four and could throw the ball over people and was, he could go by people some, but, but he was very adaptive throwing cross court, skip passes to the fade and the curl and putting the ball in the shooter's hands. And he was responsible for, that guy being a becoming a a large extent a great player because he could put the ball right where he wanted it and, and without being exceedingly fast. So you've got to match what you emphasize to your personnel and your people. But uh, but that's that was our that was our approach for most of the time that we ran the the system this system. So yeah, and it, it's based on personnel because I have two my two best players are two wings. Both very athletic. One's really strong. One's more tall, slender. Um, but both were trying to get shots for. Oh, well, tell me this, though. What what I like to do is I, I love the five out. We run five out, Coach, literally against zone. And we we get wide open shots, maybe because we don't make a lot of shots. Maybe that's it. But we get we won a lot of games based on just spreading people out and drive kick for threes and drive kick for drives. I mean, even against zone, we get tons of opportunities. Does that sound a little crazy? No, no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't sound crazy. You spread people out and, and then they're going to have to come out and get you. And then you drive by. And that's why the 50% of the goal, you know, most, most system teams, you look at their goals and 50% of the shots should be threes. Well, that kind of depends on how the opponent's playing you. That's probably an average. Sometimes they shoot seventy percent of your shots from threes if they want to protect the hoop, and and you'll you'll maybe sometimes they're going to go catch you on the threes and you're going to drive it. So you know, spread, sure. spreading people out uh, and and the, the driving pitch. Now there's another concept of there that I might divulge, diverge from for just a second. Is so when you make the catch, when do you drive? And I think there's two way two extremes and ways to approach that. One is is do you make the catch and now allow your teammates a, a, a half second, a second, a second and a half to spread the floor to give you more space to drive into, but also allowing your opponent that's closing out on you to get a better floor position and stance on you and direct you where they want to direct you? Or do you, on the catch, make that split-second decision, I'm going to shoot her to drive it right now, even though the floor may not be spaced quite as much as it will be uh, a half second later, because it, it's a game of microseconds is what we play, sure. uh, particularly at, at, at playing this style. So, you know, I think you've got those two, two extremes and the Vance Wahlberg dribble drive pitch probably tended toward the first more with shallow cuts and some of those kind of things. I was so into pace that we went with the second. I think Grinnell is more with the first where they allow more time. They want they they tend to really get the ball in their point guard's hands and he he is or one one of their creators uh and uh and and get the ball back to that creating handler. It's interesting also, I'm sorry I'm diverging all over the place here. There's so much we could talk about, but a lot of time <laughs> a lot of times the best creator can come from your low post too. And maybe maybe it's a point guard in the low post. You know, post them the ball there in the first five, seven seconds. And let them distribute from there, but but we tended toward the second where we wanted to catch it and drive right away because um, I didn't feel, on average, on the whole, we had better 
uh, drivers than our opponents had defenders. And we were better off driving them as they were closing out. And we tried to orient what we did around them to enhance that. Therefore, people adjacent to the driver on the catch were generally receiving backside screens uh, so that that person was being screened, that defender. And we felt that would give them a little advantage and a little more space to operate with the drive. And, and like so many things, what your opponents do to you in your league games dictates what you evolve to. And basically that was why we evolved because one of our teams, a couple of our teams in the league were so good at stripping from adjacent lanes that we started setting flare screens adjacent and said, this is, this is a better way to do it all the time. And, um, and so that's, that's what, uh, that's what we ended up doing. So yeah, five out and, and our four man, uh, our four man was on the weak side of the floor, our post, our post player, we call him the four. Uh, that's the way LMU numbered it, um, would be on the weeks. We'd send them to the weak side of the floor and they'd be setting backside screens all over the place over there and then slipping. Uh, so it's, it's like five out. Uh, but that person's a step or two outside the edge of the lane line, setting screens and looking to slip and being in the best position to offensive rebound because that's where the percentage rebound is going to come is off on the weak side board. So they get the best angle to contact wedge and block out and get into that action. So, you know, those, so yeah, the, the, the five out type of type of action does spread the floor for you as long as you space the floor. And I think sure. that's important. That's why we emphasize the fade and curl floor positions so much to get to those. And that's, that spreads the floor out and makes the defense defend the whole floor. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the actions you had in your book. Um, and I, I think we run, I think I call it clear. And I, I absolutely love it. I, I, I try to get my point guard, my best player. And what we do is we clear out the, we clear out basically the whole right side. And then we let her attack the basket, at the, right. and then we run her off of the two off of double, sometimes triple screen. Yeah. Is that, that, now that is that Doug's action or your action? That, I think that, what you got. That was basically our action, and that's kind of what Brunel does okay. too. You clear the right side when you run the two man all the way through and under the basket, going from right to left off a double stagger. You clear that right side out, and if the point guard can go coast to coast, they go and and they go coast to coast, and the five is trailing the play coming up. And then two's coming around that double stagger on the left side of the floor. Yeah, that's kind of what it, that's what it, that's what it was on the on the made basket, on the made basket break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, the only thing we we get a lot of box and one in zone. I mean, we we our best player gets boxed in almost every game. It's almost pathetic. They should outlaw it. But of course, I use box and one too, but not all the time. So we face a lot of box and one, and that's where. I value my other development of all my players to have the freedom to shoot because you can take out one player. Sometimes she gets double, triple teamed. Um, and that's why I firmly believe I give my, all my players the green light, but I try to teach them what's a good shot for them. What's, what's your belief in that? Well, yeah, that, that's, that's, yeah, you should develop all your players. I think we all owe our players that to develop them. But, but that's one of the advantages of system basketball. If you can create enough chaos, and by creating chaos, it comes back largely much of it to defense, just creating so, right. so many turnovers, so much chaos, so much pace, so much craziness out there that the opponent is, is challenged to get to the floor positions that they need to get to to do that box and one. 
You're, it's broken. Yeah, the the floor is broken up. It's the flow of the game. It's the brokenness of the game. But yet that's that's your flow. That's what you've taught. That's what you practice. That's what your kids are doing. That's what they're living for is that crazy flow. And, and when you break the opponent up with a pace, the more you slow the game down to get a little bit better shot, you know, the more they're going to get into that box and one, the more times they're going to do what they want to do. And it's, that's, that's one of the big advantages of, of extreme gambling, risk taking, which has its downsides. The opponents shoot 50% against you or 60 or 70%. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. In the women's game, the, the percentages are not quite as high as the men, but uh, you still, you're giving up much higher shooting percentage to the opponent in exchange for turnovers, offensive rebounds, uh, spread of shots, and craziness of flow, which, 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 which speaks to what you're talking about right here, I think. Attacking the opponent before they're really ready to, to get into you with what they normally do. But you've got to be extreme to do that. I mean, I love that. I mean, that that that's definitely the key for us because uh, that was ultimately what led us to lose in the state tournament. And, you know, we, didn't, we were not aggressive enough with the other shooters. Um, and But we did not – we were not aggressive on the defensive end. So we were sitting back trying to, you know, contain their athletes instead of going after them, forcing the tempo, like you said. So that's bad coaching, right? Well, you got to know that depends. That depends. I mean, this is just a philosophy of the play that we're talking about here, and that's another. Yeah. That's another interesting point too. Is a lot of times most coaches will look at an opponent and look at a great point guard, say on the other team, and say, "We can't press that kid. Uh, she or he is just too good." Uh, they you see him right. play against a traditional style of ball, but often you put them in a in a if you're really creating the ultimate chaos with your your pressure and your pace of play, pace of play is so important. Getting those hundred possessions in a game, up and down, up and down, up and down. You put them in that. A lot of times they won't function as well as you might think they would, uh, and and they end up turning it over. And a lot of times you are playing for those last five minutes of each half or last five minutes or last couple of minutes of each quarter to, to for the fatigue may send in on the legs and, and the execution. And you're, you're, you're playing for those specific short run matchups where you, you get just the right people on the floor and you have those, those, those nine Oh runs, 12 Oh runs, you know, where score, steal, score, steal, score, three, score, three, you know, those happen. Uh, but if you don't, if you don't keep coming after people and keep gambling, you're never going to know when they do happen. But, but yeah, for the really exceptional player on the other team, uh, yes, you can go to treating them differently sometimes. But I think it sometimes that distorts the concept that you're trying to create with your basic defense of pace, pace of play. Yeah, and tell me about because I have some coaches that listen. They, they you know, they go, man. Kevin, I, I don't believe that I have the talent to do it because we, you know, they go against a lot of really athletic teams, and and, and we that's what we have to face here uh, in our public school system. But I think it's almost even better, right, Coach? Can you talk about that? It's 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 almost better to go after and be an attacking team with less talent rather than being a passive maybe half court team. In a lot of ways, it, it is, yes. Um, a basic tenet of the system is that talent, I mean, that, that depth 
trumps talent. And so you, sure. you are trying to utilize that depth. Now, using that depth means pace of play and, and specialization of players. Now, if, you know, if, if you've got a decent point guard that can handle the ball decently and, and coach him up, coach him up, coach him up, you know, be positive with him, be specific, get him to play better, work on shooting, develop your shooters, uh, and you you can you can come up with, you know, three shooters, four sh- real four shooters that you want putting the ball up, and you know you're going to go to the offensive board and utilize your role players for the other people if they're people that are willing to work hard, and that's the key. The, you look at the teams that have been successful doing it. You wouldn't think Grinnell would be the first team to be successful doing this. The school, the type of athletes that they have. They're not the best athletes in the Midwest Conference. <laughs> and we did not have the best athletes in the Midwest Conference. But we basically what we had was people that could shoot some threes, yes, that, that bought into what we were doing, yes, and that would keep trying awfully hard all throughout the whole time they're on the floor. And you gave them the physical ability to do that by not asking them to go too long at times and you develop that in the mindset in them so that you're 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 able to be more in tune with the depth trump's talent by utilizing it in that fashion you know you got to make some shots but but yes but those offensive rebounds are so key they're so key that is such a vital part of it and developing you don't you don't need to have and I referred to this earlier, you don't need to have all five players being able to make threes. In fact, sometimes a lot of us feel you're better off having just two so they know their roles. You get too many shooters sure. on the yeah. floor and, uh, and, and you, you, you lose, uh, you lose uh, effectiveness. And we felt that to a degree. We really did. Uh, you want those best shooters shooting it in those first seven seconds, eight seconds. Uh, you know, I don't know how many of you have read the book, Seven Seconds or Less by... Uh, that was about Phoenix coach and D'Antoni and so forth. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Hello. Hello. A little commercial break there. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, we got to get, wait, we got to get our sponsor in. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's a part of the deal. Hey, that's great. Hey, um, hey, let me ask you a question really quick. I'm hoping this is kind of on the same line. Um, you got to be, I don't think enough teams in high school and college use their bench enough. And I think you have to value that, right, Coach? Because with the Warriors the other night, they had all these injuries. And, I mean, in, including all their best players. They had guys – and, and your, your buddy Ron Adams probably – buddy they had all these guys coming off the bench that, that hardly even play and still contributed to beat Portland – I don't know if you watched that game, but I thought that was amazing with the Warriors. That's kind of the same philosophy that 
with the system, right? Yeah, no, I did watch that game. And, yeah, those guys were really ready to play. That was, it was classic. Those guys were really – when, when they played that way, I mean, they're, Kevin Durant's a great player. You know, he's one of the best players in the game probably now. But, but my gosh, w- the way they play <laughs> and play as a team and move the ball and, and player movement and utilize all those people, yeah. And I think, yes, utilizing depth on, a, on, a, on your team is you got you to gotta give them a chance. A lot of times you don't know who your best players are going to be until you give them the opportunity. Um, right. One of the people, one of the other people that did influence me a lot was Dean Smith at North Carolina. And, sure. Uh, and they, they, the depth that he, the way he played uh, lots of people and the depth that they went to. And uh, yes, yeah, obviously playing this way, you, you really need depth. And that's another whole thing we could get into if you want to, how many people it takes to practice and how you practice. But uh, um because I think that's that's where the, the you, you crack the cookie that that right there is is how you practice and developing it. But uh, but yeah, depth is key, and that's a classic example the other night with the Warriors and and uh, Milwaukee. Although they lost last night, they traditionally this year have gone nine and ten people deep all year. So that that guy uh, Budenholzer was in our league. He's a player in our league out here in the, in uh, Southern California. Man, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of connections there. I mean, tell with that with that league out there, it's amazing how many good coaches and players are in that in California. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, you got. I mean, you mentioned earlier about um, uh, San Antonio. Um, Pop, Popovich, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Those are some great minds right there. I mean, and it starts with Gary Smith, man. What you can't be, you can't have a better basketball mind. And Gary Smith. No, I mean, no, 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 that's not true at all. Because I, I stole everything I've learned from other people. We're all thieves. <laughs> We're all thieves. Exactly. Hey, let's talk practices, coach, because that's the ultimate key. And I, I just want to kind of how can how can a high school coach like me? Because I'm I'm really studying both Doug and 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 Coach Barber's. There's their practice systems very simple. They don't they don't they don't overdo it in practice teaching one concept at a time, always teaching shooting. I mean, how do you break down your practice? Are you similar to them? Uh, yes, yeah, similar. I'm not quite as totally structured as Doug is with his. I mean, he it, it, actually third, a third, a third. I, I adjusted it somewhat from that. But in terms of total time spent in practice, probably very similar. Uh, less is more is a concept with uh, – uh, up-tempo basketball that's very important don't try and do too much do do what you it's not rocket science try and do what you do as well as you possibly can one of the things that 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 we felt is is having the right number of players and and structuring your practice in such a fashion that you give your players the chance to go full bore literally full bore for shorter periods of time and 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 you encourage them helping them understand how hard they can go sometimes forcing sometimes conjoling you know whatever forcing them to go as hard as they possibly can go and that means very short bouts and that's a term short bouts everything we did was short bouts and wouldn't practice a lot that same way they didn't they seldom mm-hmm. do more more than up back and up and stop and that's, you know, up, back, up, and maybe back one more time, and we would stop. We would never go longer than that because I wanted the players to, time after time, feel, have that energy to do that. 
to be able, physically able to do that. And that's why the short shifts are so important. Because if you practice longer period of time, they're not going to be able to, and they'll find a way to, uh, to, 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 go, to not go as hard. And now you've lost all that chaos, all that speed, the microsecond advantages that you have in going to the offensive board, the speed of the push, the, the transition from offense to defense, defense to offense and offensive rebounding, all of that kind of thing. You lose all of that. So the short bouts, I think, are critical. And what we did in practice was this. Um, we, we wanted a squad of 17 guys at least. And we would, we would have, typically when we scrimmage, we would have a control team of seven people that would be running the opponents, running something an opponent would run. We didn't scrimmage Redland style against Redland very often. You didn't do that. You know, because that's not what you're going to be playing against. You're going to be playing against somebody that's going to be running a, a one-three-one half-court press attack, or full-court press attack, and and that's how they're going to attack you. And they're out in the half-court, and so you want them to be doing what your opponents are going to do. Well, those seven guys would run that. The other ten would be split into two groups, and they would be they would be redlands, and they would be they'd be they'd be going and. 35 to 40 second increments, no more than that. Up, back, up, stop. Up, back, up, stop. Up, back, up, stop. And, and, and you switch groups. And, and thereby allowing your, the guys that are running your system to, to, to truly go full bore. And if they're not, then you need to help them understand uh, that they need to and <laughs> replace them. Uh, and then, sure. you know, you'd switch those groups around so that those seven guys get some runs as, as part of the 10 that run this Redland system. But, but that's the way we practice, and that's why we wanted 17 players because usually there's always some fallback, you know, in terms of numbers and people that are, uh, that are sick or missing from class or whatever reason, you know, uh, not, not with you. And, and I know coach Barber, you know, I think he may, may utilize his JV program. If you've got a JV program, you can utilize them in that fashion too. Uh, and that's, that's very effective. We had a JV program for quite a long time at Redlands and eventually that was cut out. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for various reasons, I won't go into all those. <laughs> uh, that's another topic. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's another topic. <laughs> Um, it's another podcast, right? Yeah, it's another podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, how you practice so important, and yeah, we we would we would we would uh, get the consummate number of. Uh, for us, it was a hundred shots, but it was many more than that. By the time we added our six line shooting and various shooting drills that we did, the fourteen second shooting drill and all of those things, uh, there was many more than a hundred shots that each player was putting up. But they, they there was spot up a hundred shots daily. Uh, and, and, and our practices were, you know, the first part of the year, the first, the first, the very beginning, the first two to three weeks of the year may have been an hour and a half to an hour 45, uh, an hour, maybe two hours, a couple of times, cause there's more talking. Um, but then later in the year, you know, we're going an hour, an hour 15 or even 45 seconds, 45 minutes, you know, uh, keeping it short, going full out. We did a fair amount of walkthrough. 
as the season went on, walking through. If you're going to go, don't go half speed. You're either going full or you're walking walking through, understanding what where your reads are, what your anticipation angles are, where your gambling angles are, how you trap, the angles that you come untrapped, the angles that you go to the offensive board, the angles of the runs, and all of those kind of things, I think, take some walking walkthrough sometimes. But, uh, but um, you know, it was, it was less is more and keeping it simple. And, and, and when things aren't going well, many times the first reaction is, well, let's add a scoring play here. Let's add another defense here. Let's add this or that. Well, that I think is self-defeating. I think you want to keep it as simple as you can and try to do what you do better. Whatever it is you're doing, if, if you're having trouble with transition, whatever it is, whatever the problem is, your trap angles are not right, you need to work on that. Get better at that. Uh, rather than adding more things, get better at what you do. It was our approach to it. Now, there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat. That's why basketball is such a great endeavor. There are so many different ways to play the game. That's why it's so inviting to watch and to play. And this is one way. But uh, I think that as a part of this one way, there are certain uh, givens that you've got to buy into. And uh, these are some of them. Coach, tell me about – I mean, tell about uh, like a small school like me. Not every kid is highly skilled, so we got to spend – we got to spend a lot of time not only on shooting but on pivoting, ball handling. I got to make sure all my players can handle the ball right and left hand. Obviously, at my level, it's going to be different. How would you, if you were in my place, how would you teach the system – from the middle school to the JV, what would you do? Give me, give me some ideas there. Yeah, well, first of all, I probably would not be teaching the system in middle school. I'd be teaching skill, sure. skill building. Uh, right. Maybe even for ninth graders, I'd be developing skill building. Uh, and, and because there's a base of basketball that you have to develop. Yeah, how to catch the ball, how to pivot, how to, how to you know, all the basic fundamentals of the game. Uh, and and I think that until you have some essence of that, that to move beyond that too soon is probably going to be self-defeating for your program. So that that would be my approach. And then then by the time you get to 10th, certainly 11th and 12th graders, you know, you can be you can be doing this. And I, was, and I think some people do it that a good number, I think, do it that way. And, and some start doing the system earlier. Um, during the off season, for instance, uh, I wouldn't be doing much of the defense in the off season. Uh, I would be working on offensive concepts and, and running the offensive stuff for the most part, and 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 the building. You can build parts of the defense, but uh, to ask them to go that hard all year round can be kind of self defeating. I think too, uh, to do that all year. And uh, how many of your players play other sports? I don't know. That's a factor too, uh, and that's fine. And that's there's no problem with that. Some of the there's some great carryover, particularly soccer players and basketball players, with the feet that they have, um, or any various sports. So um, that that would be my first thought on on you know middle school and and high school is that it's more you owe it to the players first and it's better for your system to develop their fundamental skills on catching how to pass a basketball all passing fundamentals which is so important i think just how to pass change ball fakes shot fakes uh 
changing the level to pass the ball through people, how to catch it, angles and catching the ball, and and pivots, front pivots, reverse pivots, all all of that is such an important part of it. You do those things first. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, that's what that's what we do, and then we're trying to. My difficulty, and I think a lot of coaches, is that. You know, I might have, you know, ninth graders. My my ninth graders this year are probably going to be on my starting five. That's cool. Um, That's cool. <laughs> they're going to be that good. Now, now, they already have a lot of the handle because they've been working through our system. But with the middle school team, um, do you believe Do you believe at that level they should be pressing or you should you would focus more on just half-court man-to-man? Yeah, I would focus more on half-court man-to-man. With your belief there, at that At that level, yes, I would. I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We see a lot of, um, and that's what we do. Well, that's what we do here. But I mean, we see a lot now, you know, coaches are at the middle school level. I mean, they're all trying to, you know, they're trying to, you know, press and so forth on that. But, um, and we do a little bit of that, but we believe that we try to get our kids more sound half court wise. But uh, there's different philosophies at, at that level, depending on the level of your yeah, talent. That, that's another thing I'm involved with is a local uh, youth program here that has uh, third graders through second and third graders through eighth graders, you know, and my grandson played on that. And, and I'm involved. I kind of coach the coaches in that. And, uh, and you know, the SUC third grade teams pressing pressing full court for the whole game. It, 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 yeah, I don't think that's the best way to develop your basic basketball skills, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah, and I think, Coach, that's probably your biggest impact is I, I just see the biggest problems are at the youth level. It's not at the high school level. I see so many issues with second, third grade, fourth grade, so-called elite teams, things like that. That's that's another podcast, too. But I'm not sure if we're doing justice to kids at that age. I think we're focusing so much on the dominant kids, there's going to be kids that are going to be skilled, but there's a lot of kids that are not skilled. And why do we throw them into a practice that doesn't focus on skill, more focusing on team offense and team concepts? I mean, those kids should be learning how to handle, pivot, all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, I, I know that that's a series of podcasts that will get into all the travel ball issues and, <laughs> and all of that. You can do more than one, more than one podcast, but yeah, that, that is a, it's a significant. There are some programs that do it to do a good job with it, and, and many that, uh, that that don't, I think, and have their values misplaced to a degree. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I, hey, my last question, um, but but tell me about the sac- those Sacramento high schools that you deal with. I mean, how are they? Are they are they all putting in the system? You said they're running the system. They're kind of putting that in in that area. Tell me some good things and some things maybe not so good that they're doing and maybe we can learn from. Well, there's not meant, there's not a lot that are doing it. They're, I mean, the people are, it, it's kind of the rare bird, you know, there's a guy down in Stockton that's doing it. There's the one in rock of uh, Roseville up here that's doing it. Uh, Davis did it for a while. Uh, and they're, they're scattered around that, that do it. Uh, yeah. and there's some women's programs that are doing it, uh, that, that are coming on to do it. And actually it's equally, if not more effective in the women's programs as, as you know, because, because the court is really a smaller court that they play on, uh, given strength and long, long distance passing and so forth. Um, sure. but, uh, but the, uh, 
the, the skill development is one of them. What we just finished talking about developing skills at, at for yes, for for instance, one of the programs I work with is a very it's a very small school, uh, and they have have bought in totally to the to the uh, to the style of play and the pace of play and 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 all of that. They are also a very good baseball program, a top flight baseball program, and most of their athletes play all three sports. And so they don't develop the skills uh, as effectively. And so, you know, we need to spend more time working on passing skills, for instance, just how to how to catch and and, and receive and pass uh, with some movement and and angles and passing and so forth. That that's an issue, a a, re, a recurring issue with system basketball <laughs> is is playing time, not starting. <laughs> uh, total minutes on the floor and so many yes there is a good number of coaches that have lost their jobs because parents influence athletic directors and principals to a degree that uh, is perhaps unwarranted uh, because Johnny was not starting or so so on and so forth uh, you know I, I you know in Southern California, there were several programs I worked with down there. And one of the programs set all kinds of records and had tremendous success. And, uh, you know, they, they had not many. There's, there's not most, most don't with this. Don't get me wrong on this, Kevin and friends. Most kids love it. Most parents love it. But you would be not in the minority if, if you had some experience with, in the, particularly the first year. With with a with player players or parents that uh, d- cannot accept uh, not playing thirty minutes out of thirty two minutes a game, um, or cannot accept the other thing is hard to concept accept is is the gambling that you you have to buy into at this at this style of ball and the the resultant high percentage shots that you, we don't give up layups we don't give up layups but they result because of some of the gambles that we have to make. Uh, yeah. And that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a part of it. That's part of it. It's trade-offs. The world is full of trade-offs. If, uh, you know, that's what, that's what we do. And the, the capitalistic system, I think, is a, full of trade-offs. And so we, uh, we have to trade off to get, this, to get 25 to 30 to 35 more shots per game. Uh, we have to give up, we have to create pace and we have to give up some good shots to get the turnovers that are commensurate with that. So that all goes together. So those are things you're going to be dealing with and, and people locally have, have dealt with that. Uh, and yeah, it's not, you know, the majority of people probably, I don't know, at least half of the people that you talk with don't end up doing it or they try it and they, they don't go all the way with it. Uh, it's it's just the nature of the beast, uh, but um, but some do, and uh, some have most most I think have a great time with it. They find out that that they it, I think that's a and I think many coaches feel this way. It's a way to be a little more positive in coaching. You, you, it, it, the opportunity to be more positive with your kids is there with this because you're you're teaching effort first of all and foremost. Yes, you're teaching technique and so forth, but you're teaching uh, how to play hard and effort. And the the, the way uh, you can be positive as a coach is is very important. 
gambling, for instance, teaching gambling and being positive and reinforcing gambling when it fails, going for a pass and the kid not quite getting there in time and the opponent shooting the layup. And you're taking that opportunity, that teachable moment to praise them in front of the team and explaining why that gamble will pay off percentage-wise over a period of time. And then we want you to do it again and again and again because it's that repetition that creates the pace. Um, so those kind of things. I don't know if I answered that question quite right for you. <laughs> but uh, You did? You uh, did. Yeah, you mentioned some key points. Parents, um, the parents' ego, the ADs protecting his job as well. Um, you got to get you got to get total buy-in there, and that's hard to do in today's society because you know there's there's just a lot of you know selfishness and so forth. But what what I love about the system, exactly what you're saying. First of all, team morale. You're playing all these kids. How many systems where you you watch a game and you know maybe seven, eight might play a game. So what about those other five or six who are, who are dedicating their time and commitment to the team? That that's number one. That should be number one. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. I think everybody. Is, yeah. Yeah. But that's also the problem because your you know kids that are used to being the stars and so forth. Um, but as Doug Porter says, and you probably say the same thing, they're probably more effective scores playing less minutes, right? That's right. Definitely. They, they, they obviously per possessions per game, they're going to have probably just as many, uh, their skill development will be enhanced, I think, because of the freedom that they play with and they will be, you know, they, they'll have, uh, even in 20 in playing in, we, we seldom played play more than 20 minutes out of 40. Maybe our best player might play 22. Sometimes when we doubled right, right down the end of the game or delay game or something. And, 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 but, uh, but the number of the number of touches and possessions that they get the best players, you, you're, you're teaching in most cases a preferred shooter concept. You're getting the ball in the hands of probably one of your more skilled players, your point guard to develop, his or her skills at a level of speed that they had not had the opportunity to develop when they played slower. Uh, so you're developing them in ways just, just so they're not on the floor as many minutes, but they've got as many or more touches because the pace of play is so much faster. So it, 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 it is uh, an incorrect assumption to assume that they're not uh, they're not that they're being shortchanged by playing fewer minutes yeah i know that the, the typical saying is i can't get in your rhythm coach uh by coming out every 35 <laughs> seconds but uh i think you know you keep the lather up you get them back in in 35 seconds they, they're ready to go and and i eventually they understand that if they if they're if they're if they give it an honest shot and honest and most will some don't and some leave the programs yes and check out and they don't return. Not very many. Very few. Very few. But uh, but uh, they're the, the staying in a rhythm thing is a is a, a phony approach. I think really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that, Coach. Tell me what would be one last piece of advice you would give us coaches if we wanted to try to install the system, or just one last piece of advice for any young coach, any coach out there that can really help them become a better coach? Well, for any, any coach, uh, I think watching somebody practice, well, going to a practice and watching somebody, that, a team that you admire, watching them play, go watch them practice. And there are very few coaches really in our business that are, that are unwilling to share 
with younger guys. I think most enjoy that mentoring uh, mentality and are very willing. If, if you're honest and, and, and willing to put in the time and the work to really learn from somebody, that that's invaluable way to advance your career and, and your enjoyment of life and the game. Uh, I, I think that's, 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 and if you're pursuing this system thing, as we talked at the beginning, um, study it, thoroughly try to understand it, try to visualize what it's going to look like. Uh, and are you happy with that? Are you comfortable with that style of play? Uh, but that my first advice would be, would be that and, and, and understand, so, you know, how how other people do it and then you, you know you we're all different and we're all going to kind of have our own twists and turns and tweaks for different things but but the, the general concepts of how other people approach things are, and taking from different people what what you you think fits you and your program and your players at the current situation is uh, invaluable and as we all progress we never change we're always evolving and that's that's one of the things about this what we were like in our last year at Redlands was not what we were like halfway through and everybody evolves and changes as time goes on in, in, in our lives and basketball lives too. So I, I guess that's the major piece of advice I would give you. Man, that's great advice. And I think um, I'm not sure how many coaches <clears throat> do that, trying to involve them. I think they try to keep to their same, same methods and so forth. And I don't, I'm not sure how many coaches, I think it's great to have mentors that you can contact on a regular basis. I'm not sure if that's done enough, Coach. I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. I know for my career and my life, I was in the phone with Bob Klottenberg way too much bothering him. But he, he, was, gracious, <laughs> he was gracious enough to accept my calls and, and willingly talk. And, and I enjoyed doing that with players and, and still enjoy doing that with, with coaches now. So, yeah, it, yeah. it may not be as much of that going on. You may be right, Kevin. That's too bad if it, if it is. Well, I really enjoy talking to you, Coach, and I'd love, love to get a hold of Coach Kloppenberg. That that would be an absolute, I mean, blessing if I can do that. And, um, Coach, how can somebody get a hold of you? Because I'm going to have coaches wanting to contact you just to talk about the system. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, my uh, you can come. I still use my normal email that I use is the one through University of Redlands. It's Gary underscore Smith, G A R Y underscore S M I T H at redlands.edu. And that's probably the best way to contact me. And I can get back to you and uh, we can exchange phone calls or texts or whatever uh, or emails. Uh, but that's that's the best way. Um, and so I would encourage anybody that's that's serious about it. To, to, to do that. Yeah. That'd be great. And do you have any videos or any other uh, resources that the coaches can get from you? Do you have anything online, anything like that? Not anymore. I don't know. I, the, the, the book that we wrote coaching the system is, uh, is probably the best, yes. the best resource. I think we, we Doug and I spend a, a lot of time writing, rewriting, rewriting, rewriting that. And I still think it's a pretty good source. It's, it's, it's still amazing how many copies of that are, are being purchased nowadays, uh, but I don't have I don't have a uh, a uh, any videos online particularly now. No, there's there's archives that are available through the Run and Gun site that uh, Bob Belf has, but I no longer deal in those. So, yeah, that book is awesome. I just want to tell you, I mean, I highly recommend the listeners purchasing that book. Um, 
Coach, thank you so much for sharing, man. I appreciate you sharing your vision. Uh, I know it was, a, it was a long podcast, man, but I know my listeners got a lot out of it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Coach, thanks again for sharing. My pleasure, Kevin. Very much my pleasure. It's a to get to know you, and we'll be uh, anxious to hear how your your group progresses here and say hi to Coach Arsenault when you talk to him. And good luck to all of you out there. I will. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Have a great day out there in California, okay? You, you too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye now. This is Matt Smith from United Basketball Clinics. A highlight of my week is listening to Kevin Furtado's Championship Vision podcast. Kevin has a passion for the game and helping coaches grow in their craft. He interviews some of the best basketball minds in the business, and you are sure to gain insights on how to improve as a coach. I suggest you check out his podcast today.